Hello everyone. It is Thursday, July 19th, 2018, and this is Rafael Garcia here for episode 92 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. First and foremost, as always, thank you guys for joining us tonight. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show on Thursday or whenever you take a moment to listen to us on demand on YouTube at MMARatings.net. You can catch all of our content online. Check out the pieces that we all write. Myself, Adam Martin, Schwan Humes, and sometimes Michael Ford, who's a big boss man, um, covering our content. There, you can also rate the fights as well. So be um, sure to go to the site. Use the star rating system and let us know what you think of previous fights and upcoming fights. Uh, tonight, I am waiting on Shawan to join me, but I wanted to get the show started on time, so I'm not sure when he's going to hop in, but I'm pretty sure he's going to hop in. But anyway, um, we have we don't have a whole lot to talk about from the upcoming fight uh, scenario. We got PFL going on tonight. I actually am not watching that. I just got back from teaching Nogi, so I have no idea what's going on in PFL, but we have uh, UFC Fight Night 134 on Sunday with a couple of fights that I would like to talk about. And we also have some news from this week. So we're going to jump right in that uh, section. But before we do, please feel free to like our content on YouTube, uh, share us on all of your social media channels. Be sure to um, check out our work there. And as always, send us questions via the hashtag MMMA ratings. You can either at myself at rgarcia underscore sports on Twitter, or you can hit up Schwan at Black Jordan Breen and check him out there as well, too. Um, we will try to get to everyone's questions. I know we got a bunch of questions last week that we were unable to get to, and I apologize about that, but please feel free to continue sending them in because we appreciate you guys. We appreciate you all taking the time to listen to our content and tell us what you think as always so again thank you for all of the support i just kind of as i was getting ready for today's show i saw that we started this back in 2016 and man we're we're still going strong we're just about at 100 episodes and i have no idea what the hell i want to do for that 100th episode but um i do want to kind of begin building this platform, but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about what we have for tonight's show and perhaps the biggest story that came from today is that the UFC is looking to strip Kobe Covington of his interim welterweight title. Now, this is pretty interesting. It's pretty silly if you ask me uh, through and through because First and foremost, the UFC knew that they didn't need to make this interim title when they put Rafael Dos Anjos against uh, Kobe Covington. They did it because, A, I believe that they, that they vehemently don't want Tyron Woodley as their champion, and B, because they need to book as many championship bouts as possible for these pay-per-views to attempt to make them attractive to people to buy. And then C, it gives them some ability to uh, book for later events. And it gives them more individuals carrying around belts that they can kind of parade out as champions and people that we as fight fans should be interested in. I don't. It's not working. Uh, we can see that from the pay-per-view buys that are kind of still struggling. I mean, UFC 220, what was it, 226 or whatever that number was with Cormier and 
Stipe only did about 400k in buys, and I think that that's that's a now it's a it's a decent number. And I see that in air quotes for the UFC, but it's still a it's still a struggle when you look at what they have been able to do in the past. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. Let's talk about uh, this story with Kobe Covington because what we see here is that the UFC was looking to book him and Tyron Woodley for later on this year. And that's and that is a pretty big fight in my opinion just because what Kobe's been doing and what he's been able to do is kind of beef himself up as a name in the sport simply by being boisterous and over the top, you know, with his um, support of Donald Trump, with the Nerd Bash 2018 campaign. It's, it's over the top and it's a little annoying as fuck, but he, it's working for him in some regard. That is, it kind of helped him get into the title picture faster than if he would have been doing it any other way. But, uh, According to Ariel Hawani, news broke today that the UFC was looking at doing Covington and Woodley for UFC 228 in this September. But Covington supposedly turned it down because he fought in June to get the title. So in response to that, the UFC supposedly is in talks of stripping Covington of the belt and now making Darren Till who's coming off of a win over Stephen Thompson, a controversial win over Stephen Thompson, and making him the number one contender to face Tyron at some point in time this year. Now, on one second, let me get uh, let me get Schwan in this in this chat. I'm sure he will have something to say about this. Give me two seconds, folks. probably out doing something with the kiddos, you know, because he's Super Dad 101. I'm sure he's probably out doing something with the kiddos. But as I was saying, they want to strip Covington of the interim title and make Darren Till the number one contender. And there's a couple of different talking points here because the first one is, what is the point of these interim titles? Clearly, they don't mean too much. I mean, we've already devalued what the main championships mean by throwing together these interim title bouts. We knew that the welterweight title uh, did not need an interim placeholder because Woodley was prepared to fight. So now they've already, they've probably put that in a worse position now if they're willing to strip uh, Kobe of it after a month after he won the belt, and they're willing to throw Darren Till in the main event. But before we go forward, uh, Schwan, how you doing there, sir? Uh, not too bad. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Doing good. You just stepped in at the, as we're on our first topic because we're talking about uh, Darren Till supposedly replacing Kobe Covington as the number one contender with the uh, UFC stripping Covington of that welterweight title. What were your thoughts when you first saw this news break? Um, my thoughts were kind of conflicted. One, it um, it makes some sense because the UFC is kind of going overboard with the interim champion type thing. It's been it's been it's been a constant complaint for fans. It's, it's been kind of an annoying thing for me. I mean, I don't hate the fact and the opportunity it gives for the fighter, but after a certain point, it becomes redundant, especially in this case because Woodley was able to fight. You know, you wait another what two months, three months, and he's able to go. So you just made up an interim, an interim title for no reason. 
you know so it and that in, in that regard i was fine with it on the opposite end it's kind of it it kind of makes the ufc look even worse because it's one thing to do something that we don't agree with it's another thing to make an adjustment based off of the agreement of the fans i mean the fans are still going to buy the pay-per-views they're still going to do what they're going to do so it seems like you're kind of like the, letting the inmates run the asylum i mean whether i agree with the ufc or not and whether I have a good idea or not, they should have a business plan and a business model that they fo- that they believe in and they follow. This kind of action makes you wonder, like, if they really have a direction or they really have any sort of set plan because you came up with this, you you advertised it, you publicized it, you had a fight for it, and then you just take it away with no explanation. And what's worse, you might move the guy out of the top ranking spot because if nothing else, that interim title guarantees you a shot at the champion. And now you're saying that might not happen either? I mean, it just... It just looks really unprofessional. So you said a couple of different things there because I personally do not believe, like when was the last time the UFC made an interim title that was needed? Uh, with in the, a, uh, was it? That was done at, at the right time. Yeah, Bantamweight would have been the only time I can think of it when they had the whole issue with, uh, I think was it, I think it was Burrell had the title because Cruz kept getting injured and they kept on trying to extend it to give him time to heal. That was the only time I could really say it was justified. They've made... So I can think of that time. Only the time I can think of was perhaps with, with Conor McGregor sitting out on the outside for so long, but even in that regard, they could have possibly just immediately stripped him stripped him of well, yeah, that, in that in that, in that that case, it was clearly a money play because if had had that been anybody else, they would have been stripped. But when you're the when you're the money maker, then you you find avenues to maintain his to get to give to let him maintain his status as a champion, especially since they were planning on having him move up to lightweight to see if he could unify the belt. So in that case, that that was probably an exception. I don't I don't think that was needed i don't think it was appropriate but given the financial aspects of it yeah that made sense but, but the only one that i thought made sense right up and down the board was when Burrell was made interim champion because Cruz kept getting injured and he couldn't fight that, that's the only one i it actually made legitimate sense to me so i will i will agree with that one and then looking at this one with Willie, i said it right before you came on i feel like this joint was made because a they don't have enough big name bouts and i'm saying Big name. Um, well, you, you're right on that. They're trying to find something to to make this fight sexier, to make it more appealing. And interim championship sounds like a good idea, but it's gotten to the fact they've done it so in so many cases that it's kind of lost any sort of uh, any weight it's had to it when it was you know with with the cruise thing it, it made it seem legitimate especially because that guy was defending the title but when when you have a champion who can fight in the next three to six months it seems like you're just making one just to make one and then since tyron woodley he's not really on the ufc side he's speaking out against them he's not even willing to play ball he's going to be like well i would have been ready so he makes it seem even more stupid by bringing up the fact that Daniels just could have sat out and fought him instead of instead of taking a loss for a fake title. I can definitely get with you on that there. Um, with Woodley here, what do you think that this does for him? We're going to get into the idea of which is a worse fight for him, Kobe or 
Darren, but what do you think this does for him as a stock as as or him and his stock as a champion? Does it hurt him? Does it make him look better? Does it make his claim seem more valid that he's been talking about how the UFC has treated him time and time again? What are your thoughts about how this situation uh, how what does it do for him and his current status in the organization? In, in my opinion, it doesn't do much for him because the fact of the matter is he's beaten the number one contender multiple times. And even though I wasn't really impressed with his run to the title, beating Lawler, beating Maya, who else did he beat when he defended the title? Beating Wonder Boy two times. Those, those wins have merit. Those guys were on big win streaks. Those guys were on impressive win streaks. Those guys were the number one guys, and he's beaten them in a more sounder and efficient manner than almost anybody else had in the history of their careers. So eliminating the interim belt didn't do anything to help him at all because nobody thought nobody nobody thought Covington was really on par with Woodley based off who he had beaten. Beating RDA was the thing that made people start thinking that maybe he had a chance with Woodley. And even though Woodley and even though RDA had a run at lightweight, he hadn't really beaten anybody at welterweight that says that he really was on par with Woodley either. So it's not, it's not like there was a question. Had they gone through and beaten the Usman and beaten the Wonder Boy and beaten the Till, then you could say something like that. Then you could be like, oh, well, you know, there's a question because the champions are, are so close in, in their caliber and in the opposite in the, in the opponents they've beaten. But neither one of those guys had beaten the top guy at 70, so their stance or their claim to being the best or on the same level as a champion, it didn't really hold any merit. The only way they were going to get that credit was if they had beaten Woodley himself. So Woodley's put himself in a position by beating all the number one contenders where nobody with an interim belt was going to be able to claim they were on the same footing as him. So Tyron is one of the men who's been champion for the longest amount of time, I think behind only DJ at this point in time. Is he a more valuable champion if he takes this fight or a less valuable champion if he takes this fight? Like, do you mean value as far as like a, a, a marketable fighter or, right. or value just as him being a champion? Right. Um, him being a marketable fighter. Unfortunately, he, he's just not that guy. He, he's a B-side. Even though he's a champion, he's the B-side. Just like Demetrius Johnson, they don't generate enough interest. They don't generate enough interest of their own. And there's the only way you're going to get him able to sell is if you ha have him against a big enough star or somebody who's got enough charisma to generate interest. That's why he's always asking for big fights. If you notice, Conor McGregor doesn't ask for money fights. If you notice, Brock Lesnar doesn't ask for money fights. Even John Jones, to a degree, does not ask for money fights. Ronda Rousey does not ask for money fights. They're the money. Tyron Woodley's not the money. That's why he's asking for Nate Diaz and Nick Diaz and GSP because he needs someone to create interest and buzz and make people care enough to put their hard-earned money down to focus on him as a main event type fighter. This doesn't, this doesn't, I mean, if anything, it might hurt him because Colby had at least some heat and he had played the game well enough where maybe it could, and they had a bit of a little bit of a history where they could gen, generate some interest. Him and Darren Till, I mean, Till's got, got a buzz and he's got some fans, but Till hasn't put in the legwork that Colby Covington's put in over the past year and a half, two years to put himself in a position where people might care about what happens to him or who he's fighting. So this, this doesn't help Woodley at all. Woodley still needs a name to sell, and he does not have a name in welterweight to fight. It'll sell. So looking at Colby Covington and Darren Till, what, what fight do you think, if you are running, uh, goodness, if you are running Woodley's camp, which fight are you pushing for? 
Um, if I'm Willie, Till would probably seem like the better the better matchup. He obviously had issues making weight, and he's still more, le- more, more purely a striker. I mean, I'm sure he's got some ground skills. I'm not saying that he doesn't. But the fact of the matter is Woodley's really good at neutralizing people. If nothing else, it's not his wrestling that's so top-notch. His striking is not top-notch. It's his approach to fighting that's top-notch. He minimizes the spots. He, mi- he minimizes the opportunities you have to get to the spots you need to get to to be fully effective, whether it's by backing off, whether it's by timely counterpunching, whether it's timely takedowns. Whatever he needs to do, he essentially takes you out of your spot and out of your rhythm so that you can't do the things you want to do. So... Hill's going to want to make it a stand-up affair. Willie's going to seek to control the engagements and just explode with, with big spots of offense. And even at this stage, I don't think Willie's the athlete he used to be, but he's still five times the athlete that Darren Till is. I'm not saying that he could knock him out, but he could definitely eke out a decision over him. And the kind of fight he fights is similar to what Wonderboy does. It's just that Willie has these big spots of offense that allow him to, to take control and kind of sit on lead. Against Covington, Covington's all pressure. Covington's all pressure. He's got enough of a wrestling base where Woodley's not going to be able to get any relief by wrestling him, and he just puts so much volume out there. Covington might be the easier fighter to fight based off the fact that Woodley will be able to get at him more often because Covington doesn't have the defensive skills or the striking acumen to kind of work his way in the range, to use all the tools and, the, and have the setups that are going to get, it, to get him the clean entries. But Covington's a good enough MMA fighter in all three phases of martial arts and he fights at such a high pace that he could maybe put Woodley in some spots and make Woodley work at, work at a pace that he doesn't want to work at. I don't know that Darren Till can do that with all his length and all his size. The fact of the matter is he still hasn't faced any sort of competent wrestler or grappler, and Woodley is a student of the game, and he's got a style and a mentality, a safety-first mentality that will allow him to fight a slow-paced fight, and he got a decision. So one thing I will say about this and I want to be adamant about this is that if nothing else Woodley if let's say Woodley takes the Darren Till fight if nothing else he needs to have some provision in his contract that says if Darren Till does not make weight or he doesn't make weight so badly that the fight is called off last minute that he gets his full salary I'm, I'm saying this to his management team and to his team to list like put that somewhere in writing because that is a very possible outcome we've seen till said he went blind getting ready for stephen thompson so there's a very clear shot that he may not make weight so that's i'm just putting it out there on the till thing you remember what happened to anthony johnson when he started having severe making weight even when they moved him up a weight class he couldn't make it now i don't think tills that was a very big welterweight i mean he probably could be fighting at middleweight to be honest and i don't know why the ufc would put him in with woodley without at least having him fight one more fight where they see him make the weight you know he could say it never is going to happen again blah, blah blah i'm not saying he's lying but i'd have to at least see him make time before I put him in with the championship fight because Willie Willie ain't doing anybody any favors anymore. He's not on the UFC side. He's not like the rest of you take a hometown discount or be a company man. He might just say, I'm not fighting him. It's a welterweight title. I want to defend my belt. I'm not just going to take a welterweight fight for no reason. If the guy doesn't make weight, the belt's not on the line. Willie's taking punishment. The only reason you're taking punishment is a champion taking punishment 
is because you're defending your title. If there's no title fight, I think Woodley might be like, I'm not fighting him. That's not my issue. Y'all, you put him in this position. He didn't make weight. That's on you. I'm not fighting him. I mean, he could very well do that. Dana White will probably be, will probably lose, lose his shit. But, I mean, I wouldn't. He might do it just to piss Dana off. <laughs> I wouldn't even be surprised. I wouldn't even, he'll, he'll, shit, he'll probably strip Woodley of the uh, title too, <laughs> to be honest. So, let's keep it moving there because I think yeah. that's what I mean, he could do it, but, but it would of things kind of people focus on them right once it, any more unnecessary um, than any fighters or anybody he what i've been you know class. reading and we can understand and like fights. He, 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 uh, i said according to what i okay let's try to get your audio okay. together first because we couldn't hear the last three I, I just don't think they, they the sport's already getting a lot of it, your attention hold on a second can you hear me now you're still breaking up slightly, but go ahead and start. Hello? Hold on one second. Can you hear me now? Can you hear you a little bit better? Is yes. that better? Yes. Much better. Yeah. I, I just don't think this is And with the thing coming up, he can't have- any more drama? He he doesn't right now. So um, what we're gonna do real quick, Sean? Let me uh, eject you from the show and and add add yourself back in. Let's see if that clears you up. Yeah. yeah. Okay, guys. We're I'm sorry about that, guys. We're gonna try to get him back in the show real quick because I know you all love his analysis and his side of the conversation. Um, it's happened a few. Technical difficulties there, so let me get him back in the platform. But yeah, I think that I think the UFC is going to be an interesting uh, situation if they do try to make this fight because it's not going to be as simple as they think. Especially if Darren Till continues to have if he if he does not make weight, they're going to have hell to pay for trying to get uh, Tyron to take this fight. And Ashwan was saying he may not he may not take the fight. Period. And I hope. That he gets some type of protections in his contract, because I would hate to see this situation blow up in his face. And now he's fighting a guy who's like ten pounds all overweight, like um, Stephen Thompson did, and Stephen Thompson getting a raw deal on that decision. So moving forward, um, we'll probably come back to. I want to come back to the couple of fights that have been announced, and I'm going to jump into the situation that occurred on Sunday with uh, Conor McGregor and Vladimir Putin. Now, I'm not going to go super political about this. I usually, I mean, my stance on a lot of different things are probably very well known. If you follow me on Twitter, or if you happen to stumble upon um, my Facebook page, my, my political beliefs and opinions are well out there. But let's talk about Conor McGregor going to the World Cup final on Sunday with Vladimir Putin. And my, hmm, from a social issue standpoint, this is this is this is something that keeps coming up in mixed martial arts. We continuously see MMA competitors being linked to 
leaders in the East, whether it be through countries that used to make up the Soviet Union, countries in the Middle East, and it's countries that their leadership are huge MMA fans, huge MMA backers, and these fighters are linked to these individuals, usually through like financial ways or like sponsorship and support and support system ways that makes you kind of cringe in some time, in some ways when you realize what some of these leaders are uh, accused of, what some of them have been found to be doing in their home countries. And when you look at that from a social issue standpoint, that's what I want to make sure I continuously harp on here. When you look at that from a social issue standpoint, it's just unsettling. This one is yet another example of the unsettling nature of mixed martial arts. And this is the, you and I wrote about this actually on MMARatings.net and went up today. There are so many different situations where the UFC or MMA as a whole allows itself to be involved in situations that you would never see in other professional sports. I mean, I in this piece, I talked about uh, Andrea Lee's husband. I talked about the situation with Conor McGregor here, uh, Fabrico Werdum and some of his uh, uh, confidants and contacts that we've seen um, in the Middle East. And it's just these situations where you don't hear about this happening in NBA. You don't hear about this happening in, in NFL. You don't you you don't hear about this happening in Major League Baseball. Not even in soccer, hockey, anything. While you may hear of other situations that raise an eyebrow, you don't hear of stuff like this where fighters or athletes are aligning themselves with people who have created travesties and caused travesties so bad that have resulted in the loss of life. For when it comes to Putin, there is very clear animosity with him and much of the United States. You can say whatever you want to say about Donald Trump being in his pocket or Russia taking a, making a, or playing a part in helping Trump get elected. Say whatever you want to say about that. It's still clear that there are things that Russia is doing, such as the annexation of uh, Crimea, that are questionable and um, questionable at best, at the very least. So for McGregor, who is a fighter who is who leverages much of his power in America, you have to wonder if this situation will uh, impact his status here. And to be honest with you, as I asked that, as I said that question, I don't believe so. Just because what we've seen so far from his fan base, his fan base, um, uh, MMA's fan base, I'm not going to say just him, MMA's fan base uh, can be a demographic that's not the most um, well-versed in these type of topics. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to say it in the nicest possible. I mean, the, the, the demographic that follows MMA may not care. I'm going to put it that way. They may not care about these types of situations, which is why, you know, people will see McGregor post pictures of him and Putin, and it's like, uh, whatever, go on to the next thing. But 
what I'm going to say about this is that there has to be a point in time where not only the UFC, but major MMA promotions, I mean, Bellator, One, whatever it is, have to begin looking at the situation and saying, hey, maybe you should shy away from being involved with that individual. I mean, um, if we ever find ourselves in a situation, right, UFC has now um, moved over to ESPN and they are part of the biggest sports broadcasting platform in the world today. That's why they call themselves the Worldwide Leader. The last thing they want is they want a, the last thing they want is they do not want a situation in which major voices in ESPN are talking about MMA and the and allegiances just like this. I haven't seen anything and I have not looked as well because personally I don't watch ESPN that, that much anymore. But I have not seen anything about uh, Conor McGregor's Instagram post with Vladimir Putin on that site. But it's something that really can appear up there quickly and it can escalate. I'll use the example of Andrea Lee when the situation came up with her husband having Nazi tattoos on his arm. That was talked about on um, Bomani Jones's show on ESPN that next morning. And while that's not a big major platform, it was still being talked about. This is like the first time I've ever seen him talk about MMA on any of his shows. And he's talking about a fighter's husband that has Nazi tattoos. So that's something that the UFC really needs to be careful on. But um, Shawan, to kind of loop you in, we're talking about Conor McGregor and his uh, Instagram post with uh, Vladimir Putin. Yeah, I, I saw that I was a little... It's kind of one of those things where you rub your head a little bit and you're like, what are you thinking? I mean, the, the, my biggest concern, remember, remember when they first announced the ESPN deal, me and you talked about this, and my biggest concern was how much of the little idiosyncrasy that make up mixed martial arts is going to come out to the mainstream public as a result of the ESPN deal. Because now they cover it. Now they've invested in, into it. So when these things come up, when somebody kidnaps their wife, has a funky kind of tattoo, maybe rape someone or something like that, that's going to be within their their sphere of influence now. They're going to have to report on that. And UFC can't control ESPN. ESPN can't afford to, to have their integrity questioned by ignoring key issues like this. And it, it seems like every other week, MMA's got somebody posing with somebody or has some links to Russia or something else that could be a big scandal if it ever got the mainstream media. And I don't see how it's not going to once the ESPN deal starts going into action. And, that, and that's, what's, that's what's big to me because you already see ESPN covering this sport a little bit more closely now. And it's like, man, what's going to happen when you hear of Jamel Hill talking about Mike Perry wanting to call people the N-word just because he did a My 23 23andMe Ancestry um, review because Jamel Hill has a huge audience within the African-American in, in sports community. If she starts, if she, I'm not saying she will, but if she questions the integrity of mixed martial arts, what do you think the black fan, the black sports viewer who follows her will do next? Yeah, exactly. It, it's a, I mean, the UFC already has a hard time getting certain demographics. And then all of a sudden, just like that, to have that roadblock in your way to that demographic. And you know Dana White doesn't know how to manage any sort of sensitive situation with any sort of care. So, you know, he'd only make it worse. It's the bad part about mixed martial arts. Everybody wants those big paychecks. They want that big money. They want that big exposure. 
but that exposure, that spotlight shows everything, not just the stuff you want to show us. It shows you, shows us everything. And ESPN is not going to back off. Like I heard you talking about Bomani Jones. He may not be the biggest platform on ESPN, but I guarantee you, guarantee you he has more viewers than the average mixed martial arts podcast or TV show. I'll guarantee you that much. So if you have somebody like him speaking on it, it becomes a huge issue. And the UFC doesn't have any real control or reign over their fighters about what they do in their spare time, how they make their money outside the UFC or anything else. So it, it's like, even though they don't have any control, they can't separate themselves from it. So this is a really important time in the mixed, history of mixed martial arts because the flagship of mixed martial arts is going to be under a huge spotlight. And all their fighters, if they, they're not on their best behavior, could really set the sport back or at least set the UFC back. And if the UFC gets set back, since they're the leader, everybody else gets set back as a result. Correct. Everybody else does get set back as a um, result there. And hmm, do you think, from a fan perspective, do you think that the reason why this occurs, and, I, and I'm going to go on one, one other perspective as well, do you think the reason why this occurs so much is because the average mixed martial artist or mixed martial arts fan just doesn't care about these type of topics? I think part of it is they don't care because as, as we stated before, there's a certain segment who, who mixed martial arts caters to mostly who make, who make their money. That's one thing. But two, the UFC always shouts down people or, or pretends like certain reports or certain things don't happen. You know, how many times has somebody brought something up to Dana and he's like, Oh, you're an idiot for believing that. That's ridiculous. I'm not discussing that with you idiot. You know, he shouts people down, and that works with the mixed martial arts media. They don't have – they make their money covering this sport, covering the biggest sport. It won't cover, It won't work with other sports journalists. They don't, make, they don't make a ton of money covering MMA or UFC. They make their money covering football, basketball, baseball, all this other stuff. There's, he has no leverage over them. And if he starts pulling credentials like, like, like they've been known to do before, it just makes them look that much more suspect to other people. And the UFC doesn't have a star or is their star isn't bright enough at this stage where they can take too many direct hits if it's anything about dealing with certain political parties or, or treating women a certain kind of way or somebody who's done certain kinds of things. It, it just it adds up after a certain point. But the main reason it's never become a big thing is because the UFC has always been able to control the narrative. And they're not going to have that power much longer. The bigger you become, the less control you have over the storyline. Something, and the last thing I want to talk about this is a very interesting point that was made while I was talking to uh, Luke Thomas about this. And he said that he believes that the UFC may not be looking at some, some of these situations because of their unwillingness to be looked at as the employer of these individuals. You can only have, like, there, there's some, there, there's a perception of a relationship if you begin monitoring and policing conduct outside of the workplace that opens up the door for people to ask questions well if fighter a isn't an employee of the ufc who are you to monitor and question their uh their actions non you know uh PED wise outside of competition and if you open up uh, that there door it creates a situation where it opens up many other doors about fighter pay, treatment, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that, that's a very good point. I mean, if they start, because the only way like Roger Goodell and other people can enforce that is because these football players are their employees. These basketball players are their employees. 
So if you're enforcing rules over people who are independent contractors, that makes it look kind of suspect. I mean, I, I guess the only option they would have is to be able to drop somebody and they could just say, we dropped them for whatever reason. They're independent contractor. I can drop them for whatever reason. I can refuse to work with them for whatever reason. But then again, depending on when they do that, it just raises more questions. Well, this guy's on a five-five winning streak. Why all of a sudden are you cutting your ties with him now? Well, because uh, we just felt like he's not a right fit. But he's on a five-five winning streak. Why are you cutting him? Is that has anything to do with the fact that he was involved with a drug thing or public public drunkenness or he beat his wife? You know, because like you said, if if I'm not really your employee, if I if I'm not actually doing something that breaks the laws of the sport you don't really have a right to cut me off. There can't be a morality clause because I'm not really your employee. I'm just an independent contractor. I work and I, you, you just give me a platform to work on. You don't really pay me or cover me and employ me like that. So you don't really have the space to drop any laws or take any moral stance against me. So this, this is actually, that's, that's a very good argument. And I don't see how the UFC is going to, if, if the sport becomes picking up steam as a result of the deal and m- more eyes on it, I don't see how they can constantly tiptoe around that. At some point, it's going to come to a head. Because if you don't have any control over these fighters, then why am I giving you my money if you're going to have some homicidal maniac on your team or you're going to have a racist fighting for your company? And if, and one, like you said before, if they're not really your employee, how do you enforce anything? And what's interesting is they, they've kind of waded into these waters before. Like You remember there was a time that they cut a fighter because he had um, white nationalist tattoos on his chest. They didn't want anything to do with that. So they immediately cut him when someone recognized it. Um, and do, look at what- do they cut him when somebody recognized it or they cut him when they realized what it was? Because you, you don't make that kind of mistake. Well, the way, the, way it was, the way it was described, this is from a couple years back, that somebody like... He is there. They were under his clothes, so they recognized when he was taking off his shirt for a um, like a weigh-in or a, or a medical exam or something like that. Someone saw the tattoos, reported them, and then they immediately cut him afterwards. Even I that story remember. sounds suspect to me. No I can't offense. remember his That's... name, and I'm, and I will look it up. But you know, we're on a show. But that was definitely even, something that kind of even that story mind. sounds even that story sounds suspect to me, dude. I mean, no offense, that might have been how it happened. That that sounds. I don't know about to you, but that sounds fishy to me. I mean, like, I'm glad. I'm simply glad that they didn't let that man get on the damn uh, scale, and then somebody find it that way. Then it all then all hell would have broken loose. Didn't Bellator have somebody fight in their cage who had that stuff on him? Um, I know uh-huh. that they've had issues with um, what's her name? Uh. And, uh Anastasia Yankova. Yankova, yeah. Yeah, they had her. And um, yeah, so like there's that. But what I was going to say was look at what they did with Leslie Smith. You know, if they can't continue to treat people that way, if they are going to begin monitoring actions outside of the cage, that's why they really couldn't do anything with Conor McGregor when he leaped into the Bellator cage. Like they couldn't do anything because he's not technically on the clock at the, the the time. If they begin to put in regulations in place to mitigate these type of situations occurring when people are not in a cage, they are opening themselves up to criticism as if they are actual employers. And we know that is something that not that they do not want to do. Well it's true. And and, and I'm not on the UFC side of this at all, but all the all the fighters and there's many fighters who are who are hoping that the added exposure brings these things to light 
and holds puts the UFC on on Front Street. I hope they understand that when this spotlight comes on, your actions or lack of action is going to get highlighted too. It's like nobody's going to be shielded from this. The UFC might get exposed and might have to answer some tough questions. But if you have a fighter in your camp who did these things, you know what reporters do to fighter to players on teams whose player does a crime or something. What do they do? They ask everybody. They start researching into things. So people, if you start lying or or speak up for somebody, now you're on ESPN saying that, oh, this guy never did that. His wife is a liar. Her husband's a liar. You know, it's just it's just a it's a double-edged sword and nobody's thinking about this when they're thinking we want more money we want more attention we want these rights you can get all that stuff but it comes with a price and i don't know if mixed, every mixed martial arts fighter carries himself in a manner that allows them to benefit fully from all this attention and possibly money they might be getting you start getting big money people start asking tough questions about you your camp what you do if you fail the drug test, if you have a history of spousal abuse, if you've ever made any sort of racist or sexist comment on Twitter, mixed martial arts guys aren't used to that kind of attention. It's normal for NBA and NFL, but it's not normal to, to mixed martial arts type guys. So it could really cause some problems moving forward for these guys. It might bring up some stuff that might put them in the crosshairs of the public. Yeah, that, that, can, that can certainly be a long-term issue that the UFC does not um, want to deal with. I want to talk about two women's fights that have been um, announced in the coming uh, days. The first one is um, maybe I will say least important, the, the least important of the two, as Alexa Grasso was pulled out of her fight against Angela Hill, and Hill is now facing Courtney Casey Sanchez. Uh, what are your thoughts about this fight here? What, is, what are your thoughts about this replacement for Hill, and how does this fight look compared to the uh, it's not as big a name. Casey's name doesn't carry nearly as much weight as Grasso's. Grasso has kind of a fan base. She's not a huge star, but she's the kind of person who draws eyes because she's of Mexican descent. She, she's, a lot of people consider her very attractive, and she's got an exciting style, and the UFC is behind her. So that was a chance for Hill to kind of break through against an opponent who was ranked, but an opponent who's been very vulnerable and had a favorable style matchup to her. Courtney Casey is a fighter who's been terribly inconsistent, great athlete, but terribly inconsistent. She wins some, loses some. She can't really ever put things together at the highest level. And she's a very good grappler. And she's a very good athlete. So whereas Angela Hill might have had a slight advantage as far as speed and quickness against Grasso, I don't believe it exists against Courtney Casey. I, I think Courtney Casey is bigger, stronger, and a better athlete than Angela Hill. And while Courtney Casey's not a great striker, she's tough and she's durable, and she's willing to exchange a little bit. She All she needs to do is get her hands on Hill. She'll dominate Hill on the ground. She gets Hill on the ground or Hill takes her down, she can finish Hill anytime she wants, in my opinion. She's done better against better – she's faced a better opposition than Hill. She's, in my opinion, for the most part, performed better against better opposition than Hill. She's bigger, stronger, and I think she hits harder. She's a better grappler. The area Hill has an advantage of is striking. Hill's a better offensive striker, better clinch, better at range. But Hill's defense isn't great. Hill doesn't hit for power. She hits for average. And being that I think she should fight an atom weight, I don't think that Hill takes the greatest shot either. So there's a lot of ways that Courtney Casey can win this fight. I'm not saying it's impossible for Hill to win because Casey, her, her cage IQ is terrible. But Angela Hill is best when she has certain physical advantages. In this fight, she does not have those physical advantages. I'd say Courtney Casey is better than Ashley Yoder. And Ashley Yoder, Ashley Yoder gave Angela Hill a whole lot of problems in that fight. So she's got a, 
a bad style matchup against a better athlete with a less known name is going to get less attention for her fighting her. So it, it, in my opinion, it's kind of a loss all around for Angela Hill. If she wins, it's still a good win, but people think better of Grasso than they think of Casey. So it's not going to carry the weight that beating an uh, Alexis Grasso would carry. It's just a harder assignment for less of a reward, basically, for Hill. I, I like how you said that. The harder assignment for less of a reward. That is very um, an interesting way to break it down. I hope she's taking that this this fight seriously because um, she can't afford a loss. She, she just now beat her, beat her, She just now beat an actual a ranked opponent, and it was the weakest ranked opponent they had because Morose has been on a losing streak. She loses to Courtney Casey. That's a huge setback. Any good any goodwill she has on that two win week, win streak or two out of three wins. She's Two, two wins out of three fights ends. She goes all the way back to the back of the line and she loses to Casey. And there's a very good chance she could lose to Casey. A very good chance. Um, let's see. So the next one I wanted to talk about was the, what is this, the flyweight women's fight? It's something that people have been talking about for a long time. It's finally been scheduled. Nico Montano and Valentina Shevchenko. Now, I've been having a lot of interesting conversations about this on my Facebook page about this fight. So before we go into the political aspect of the conversation, talk about this from a strictly fighter standpoint. What do you see when you see Shevchenko versus Montano? Like, I like Shevchenko. She's a world-class striker. She's, she's a good athlete. She's got great timing. She's physically durable. She's got a good skill set. She's not great on the ground, but in transition, she can work submissions. She's got good enough ground defense where she won't be overwhelmed and just hammered and beaten up. And she's got she's got very good entries into into, into trips and takedowns from the clinch. Shevchenko is a legitimate fighter, but the thing that bothers me is people. It's like people just see the name and they just assume because she has this name that she's instantly better than the other fighter she's fighting because they don't know that fighter's name as much. And the fact of the matter is, I don't think people watch fight. There's no way you can watch Valentina Shevchenko fight. And then tell me that there's no chance that, that Nico Montano has no chance in a fight with her. Everybody's thinking, oh, she came to flyweight. She was so offensive and she was so busy and she dominated that girl. The girl she fought is trash. That girl comes out of Jessica Andrade's camp. Jessica Andrade's camp focuses on durability, pacing, and physicality. If they can't overwhelm you physically, they can't win a fight. And I can say that about Jessica Andrade because she hasn't improved one lick from since she's been in the UFC for, for the past three years. She's the same fighter. She has not improved at all. They're not a technical camp. So she beat up on a girl because she's a better class of athlete than her. And even at Bantamweight, she had wins. I get that. She had wins. She beat ranked girls. But if you look closer at who she beat, who did she really beat? Who was it that she was not? She beat Holly Holm. But since then, we've known, we, we realized that that's a, that was a matchup between two strikers. And Holly Holm has very specific technical holes in her striking, namely her footwork and her lack of defense when she's attacking she has no defensive responsibility when she's being offensive when she leaves she walks in a shot she walks in the counter she gets taken down she gets pushed back she backs up in straight lines there's a lot of ways if you're a good striker you can attack holy home she beat sarah kaufman sarah kaufman's not a great athlete sarah kaufman's not a devastating striker sarah kaufman's not a great standout grappler and yet she had a split decision win over sarah kaufman she didn't just dominate her and have her way with her so i don't know i don't know this valentina who's this this destroyer who walks through everybody. When she fought Nunez, she, in my opinion, she beat Nunez the second time, but she gave that fight away because she made bad strategical decisions. Instead of 
filling the space with activity. She let Nunes dictate things. Nunes kept throwing and kept being active, and she kept backing off, trying to set a trap for Nunes. So the judges see her backing up. They see Nunes constantly throwing. You know, she's not throwing a ton. She's throwing more than Valentina, and she's throwing big power shots. Nobody in her corner told her, hey, you're losing this fight based on how the judges are looking. And then when she fought her the first time, Nunes was having her way until Nunes overextended herself and got tired. Those are actual facts. So as good as Valentina is, the fact is she's not very busy when she's facing an opponent who's of comparable who's comparable with athletic ability. She's not very busy or offensive when she's facing someone who's got enough seasoning and skill to not give her wide open lanes to counter and dictate the pace of the fight and, the, and where the fight takes place at. Montano is not very experienced, but fighting in that tough house, she fought a former Invicta Bantamweight champion. She beat the former pound-for-pound flyweight champion of the world in Honchak. And then she beat Mata Ferry, who's one of the most experienced and decorated fighters in women's mixed martial arts history. She jumped up light years in experience from fighting those three. And she's got good striking. And she knows how to use good footwork. And she knows how to transition from striking into grappling. And she has good defensive grappling and counter grappling game. The fact of the matter is, even though Shevchenko might be the better striker, Shevchenko is, does not attack with volume. She, she does not force a pace, and she will let a fighter dictate where the fight happens and how the fight happens because she's looking to counter exclusively. Just because I saw her be offensive against a nobody, that means nothing to me. That means nothing to me. I need to see her do it over five rounds, and I don't think she can. In spots, she can be offensive, but she can't ever maintain it. So it's very likely that Montano could follow the exact same blueprint that Nunes followed, where she just does just enough to score and just enough to keep the volume out there where Shevchenko can't land anything big, and she just basically ekes out a decision over Shevchenko. Most of Shevchenko's wins aren't unanimous. They're split decisions at the highest level. So even when she wins, it's never just a clear, dominant win. The way she fights guarantees it's going to be a slower-paced fight, and it guarantees that the other person's going to have opportunities to get their work in. And until she shows me difference against a high-level athlete or a high-level fighter, I can't, I can't, I can't see it any other way. But people are going to say, "Oh, Shevchenko's the best. She may be the best, but I've got to see her do it against real resistance." And every time she's faced real resistance, she has been unable to find another gear to get her over the hump. I mean, she's on a two-fight losing streak to Nunes. She only won one fight in between that. In her last three fights, she's two. She's one and two in her last two fights. Excuse me, her last two fights at bantamweight. So now she's five hundred. In her last four fights, she's one two. She's lost two. And only in the one of the fights she won was against a fighter who, who wasn't UFC level in the first place. So I don't understand why people are so biased against her. She might go out there and mop the floor of Montano. But if you look at the fights and you look at her style and you look at how she likes to enter and exit, in, she likes to set her things up and the pace she likes to work at, there's no one who can tell me they feel 100% secure that she's going to win this fight in dominating fashion. She's never done it before against anybody with any sort of athletic ability and anybody with any sort of balanced skill set. Beating up Juliana Pena means nothing to me. One-dimensional fighter. Anybody who's had multiple dimensions and has some good coaching has caused her problems. Even Holly Holm dropped her and, and, and had her in position to overwhelm her. So she's not this dynamic, I finish everybody, I just control and dominate everybody fighter. But that's the impression everybody's got off that last fight at flyweight. And that's just not true. Look at the tape. You have to look at the tape, how somebody fights over a period of time. And you're telling me she's going to change that over in less than a year, having only fought once in a year? I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all.
I mean, you you got you went into it. You went in there, and that's a lot of and those are a lot of talking points I used when I was having this debate about this fight. Personally, from a political standpoint and a marketing standpoint, I get it. Wait, wait, Rafael, Rafael, one last thing. See, since you're my friend, there's certain perks that come with it. When people start talking to Facebook, like, you don't know what you're talking about. Look, my co-host helped train, what, the no worse than the number three straw weight in the world for their fight. Her camp came to him. So he says, I know what I'm talking about, and I'm saying it's going to be a tough fight. So I'm just going to have to just say that you don't know what you're talking about. Not that I'm not wrong sometimes. It just so happens so so rarely that it, it makes me feel like I'm not wrong ever. <laughs> so, I mean, there you go. We, 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 we can look at the track record. We look at the articles where I break it down and you see the fight and you're like, did you know somebody in the camp? Like, how did you call it like this? I just know what I'm looking at. Most people do not know what they're looking at. They don't watch film. They just watch fights. They watch fights and that's different than watching film. Totally different. So totally it different. could go the other way. I'm just telling you, look at the actual facts. Look at breakdowns. Look at other people's breakdowns. And then look at... Look at Look at how they say the fight's going to go. What you're saying she's going to do goes against everything you, you said about her for the past three or four years. So either she's a hugely evolved fighter or you're a liar because you said one thing about her for the past four years. And now you're saying she's going to do the opposite in, le- in, in a year, having fought only one. That doesn't even make any sense. That makes no sense whatsoever, logically. So they're going to have to admit they're either, they're either, they either call the analysis wrong or they're just outright liars. They were just saying something down because everybody who's analyzed her and built her up and said the opposite of what they're saying that she's going to do against Montano. So unless Montano is a total pushover, which we know she's not, you don't be contact her. If you're a pushover, then these guys are either lying about their analysis or their analysis is completely wrong. They're going to have to admit that. That's the only way. They, that's the only way they, the point they're making now makes any sort of sense, and they're never going to admit that. So there's no argument to be had. I mean, I really agree with you there. And what I think is most interesting about this, I'm going to look at this from the political standpoint. I get it. I understand why Shevchenko is getting the title shot before um, Sajar's Eubanks. Sajar's beat Lauren Murphy. So let's back up. Even, even before that, she earned a title shot on the show. Yes, she struggled with, with the weight issue that caused her to drop out of the fight, I think a couple days before. Yes. So I get it. Now, rewind the show maybe about 30 minutes ago, 30, 45 minutes ago, where we were just talking about Darren Till, who came in, what, eight pounds overweight, complained about going blind in his weight cut, and he's getting a title shot off of a very questionable win over Stephen Thompson that he would not have gotten if he would have fought that man in some other country. If you're okay with Darren Till getting a title shot, but you're questioning Sajar's not getting a title shot, there, that is that is all I need to hear. I understand that Shevchenko is more marketable. She's a very attractive... Is she really, though? Is she really, though? Dude, she's, she's definitely more marketable to the white male demographic 18 to 34 group that I, I understand that but 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 where's that where's the proof in the ratings and all like sage Northcutt people people say he doesn't have the ratings but look all across social media look at all the articles in houston and other cities about Dude, sage, sage Northcutt. he brings ratings. he's he brings yeah. ratings. like his, yeah, he, he, he's not a, he's not he's not a nate diaz but he, he there's a noticeable bump when he fights I don't right. know any bump that happens when with Shevchenko fights. Who sh- nobody showed me any ratings that have gone up because she's on there. What did that main event with her and Juliana Pena do? 
It didn't break any records. The whole point is, though, that she has the look that the UFC likes to push. That's what I mean by more marketable. It may not have translated into any results at this time, but she has the look that they like to push. So, of course, I understand that that's that. And with Sajar being a black female, I believe she may be. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to make that uh, assumption, but just just from her being a black female in the in MMA, she's not going to get that much, as, as much push. I think she's what one of four black women on the UFC roster. I believe. I, I I think I think it's a it's a very logical statement to make, and I've said this about Willie before. This is the problem that all the black fighters have. A lot of the white fighters, especially the ones come from other countries, they have their countrymen and they have their demographic on lock. Tyrone Woodley does not have his demographic on lock. Floyd Mayweather does. Tyrone Woodley does not. Sajara Eubanks does not have her demographic on lock. Clarissa Shields does. Sajara Eubanks does not. So because they don't, they can't even bring the full bear, the, the full brunt of the African-American demographic to them because they don't have that fan base. So they're it makes it easier to look over you, even though Sajar Eubanks has beaten the higher-ranked fighters than Shevchenko, and even outside of the house, they've each had one fight. Shevchenko got a showcase fight against a nobody. Sajar Eubanks beat Lauren Murphy, who, who was like somewhere in the top five, who off of a win over Honchak. So Sajar Eubanks' win carries more weight than Shevchenko's. So politically, it's I understand why it's happening, but it makes no sense, and it makes the whole old division seem like a farce to me because you talked more about the challenger than you have the champion or the person who earned a title shot. Two people did the work. They've been overshadowed by somebody who was who lost the title fight at Bantamweight and beat a nobody at Flyweight. And all we can do is talk Shevchenko, Shevchenko, Shevchenko. Based off of what? Who is she beating? Roxanne Mataferi has been more impressive at Flyweight than Shevchenko has. Liz Carmouche has more legitimate wins at Flyweight than Shevchenko. Jessica I has better wins. Jessica Rose Clark has better wins. I don't know anybody who doesn't have a better win at flyweight than Shevchenko. That win means nothing. It is garbage. And I say this is one of the few people who actually pays attention to women's mixed martial arts. That win means nothing. That's like me beating up a hobo on the street and saying, oh, yeah, I'm 1-0 and fight. It means nothing. You have to beat someone who can resist and put up a fight, and she beat the easiest fight in the division. So what if she dominated? Big deal. I don't care. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And what if she loses? What if Montano beats her? How bad does that make her look? I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, and I'm and I'm I will be inter- I'm interested in seeing how this fight plays out because if if uh, Montano does win, she, then they need to put some respect on her name. Like they really need they they really need to because how how are you the first champion for a division and you get the challenger being talked about more than you, a challenger who's not a superstar either? Come on, man. And I get it, and I get it if they are making, or if we're having these conversations because Montano has been injured. That part I can get because yes, I've always talked about, you know, I've questioned, not questioned fighters that come off off of a long layoff, but that is a red flag to me. Seeing the return, if you want to talk to me about that? We can talk about that. But Montano has been getting hate from day one, and I think part of it is because the way the UFC has positioned Valentina. That she's some she's some star that every woman is going to uh, bow down to um, sooner rather than later, and I'm and I'm questioning that. They 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 didn't want. They, first of all, I said this when Arlene. I talk to Arlene all the time. Me and Arlene are cool. Arlene Sanchez, the best women's 
coach in mixed martial arts, how that's got no publicity at all is beyond me. There's not enough women at the highest level of mixed martial arts for the best coach, who's also one of the best coaches, who is the best female coach in mixed martial arts to get no, no interviews. I see Michael Wickeljohn on TV all the time and Greg Jackson. They've been on a losing streak for the past year and a half. But I can't see enough of them or ATT or whatever. I, I haven't seen Arlene Sanchez on anything not MMA ratings related in like a year. So that's first of all. Clearly they have a problem with her. Second of all, they didn't want her to win. They didn't want Montagna to win. They wanted it to be Honchak or Mataferi. It is clear from the beginning that table was stacked for Honchak or Mataferi to win it. And when Honchak got upset and then Mataferi lost, it was like, oh, my God. And when Mataferi got the chance, they were thinking, we can put it on Mataferi. She's got this fan base. She's got the weird kind of fighter, teacher, nerd thing going. We can build around her and at least set, her, set up a big fight for her. They had no plans for Montagna. Montagna was there to fill a space. So was Sajara Eubanks. Look at the records of the fighters. It was clear who they wanted to win that. And then it got upset. The UC had no plan to back her. I don't care what they say. They had no plan to back her. They had no plan to push her because they didn't expect her to get past Honchak in the first place. That's what happened. So now they're trying to they're trying to make it up. And I understand she's injured. I understand she can't fight. But how do you have the first champion in the division not get any sort of talking about? After the week, as soon as Tough was over, when's the last time you heard about about Montagna. I heard about Shevchenko all the time. Wait till Shevchenko goes down. Wait till Shevchenko goes down. How do you not talk about the champion? It's like winning a Super Bowl and they talk about the loser all the time. What sense does that make? I totally agree with you. Um, it's, and I think it's, it'll be an interesting situation. Like she's already, she's already opening as a huge, like historical, her historical favorite over Montagna, but I, I just don't think it's enough. And I'm like, we may be, we may have to eat crow, or a lot of the MMA community may have to eat crow um, once this fight comes and goes. And I think that that makes it that much more intriguing. All, all I'm gonna say is I'll tell the same people everything. You see that one fight of flight where she was devastating. Point to me another fight in the UFC where Shevchenko has looked dev that devastating against anybody with any sort of athleticism and any sort of decent skill set. Didn't look devastating against Sarah Kaufman. Didn't look devastating against Holly Holm. She looked clinical. She looked effective. Did not look devastating. For the first, I don't know, 10, 11 and a half minutes, she didn't look devastating against Amanda Nunes, and she didn't look devastating against her in the rematch. So who is this destroyer, one-punch power puncher? Like, the only thing that they can even kind of really point at is when she on-barred uh, Juliana Pena. Juliana Pena is terrible. That's why and, she like, got on-barred. Like, and, and, um, and uh, you know, I, I think we're going to look back and see that that that, that – win wasn't a hugely valuable win in the long term i broke that fight down i said juliana pena she's a great athlete big strong aggressive good motor technically she's awful she's off on the feet she's not the greatest grappler i that everybody oh i'm so impressed by that i guess i mean did you did you not see that coming was was were other people shocked that that happened because i wasn't shocked they're like oh she's half there oh well it's what she should have done Oh, well, you thought she beat her on the feet. Yeah, I thought she beat her on the feet. Juliana Pena is terrible on the feet, but I wasn't above her being tapped. Juliana Pena is not that great on the ground. And I'm not saying she can't fight, but people keep making up these storylines to, to fit the narrative they want. Oh, she beat all these highly ranked fighters. She beat a so-so athlete in Sarah Kaufman who's on the physical decline and isn't a great striker. She beat Holly Holm, who, even though she's a great athlete, is also on the decline and at, at that time was a one-dimensional fighter who's not great in the one dimension she's, she's supposedly an expert in. And she went to, she lost a decision to Nunez, and then she lost another decision to Nunez. 
wow, super impressive, amazing performance there. I'm not taking away from her, but where in that those performances do you see that she's some kind of destroyer? Who has she destroyed? Who has she just dominated from bell to bell and walked through? It hasn't happened at the highest level. So I don't know why people are assuming it's going to happen now. It could, but based on what she's shown against certain level of athletes and certain level of skill set, I have no I, I have no reason to believe she's going to walk through anybody. And I have no reason to believe she deserves this title fight any more than anybody else. She's had the worst win at flyweight. She didn't have a great record at bantamweight. So what are we doing? I understand Frankie Edgar getting a shot. He's an all-time great. I understand Conor McGregor getting a shot. He beat the man who was undefeated in the division for like nine years. What did Valentino Shevchenko do to get a shot except lose a title fight? Very good breakdown here, sir. Very good breakdown. Let's let's look at we got a couple other topics to get on tonight. Anderson Silva, one year ban for um his failed drug test. I think he'll be eligible to fight in November of this year. How does this ban impact his legacy? Uh, I think his legacy's already taken a hit, man, with all the I mean, this is like the third time he got caught, right? Second or third time. The first time they, they let it slide because he came off the injury, so people were like, Well, he need an injury from his broken shin. But it's been it's it's been kind of on the on uh, unstable legs for a while. He just he I think that was the second or third time he got caught. He'd been he'd been getting beat, he'd been getting knocked out. I mean, people are still gonna be impressed with him as a showman and some people will still think of him as the greatest because he still did such amazing things, but any sort of idea that he was just some pure virtuoso of the sport and a guy who represented, represented the sport the right way kind of went away. And even when he had his answers about what went wrong, he just didn't have any real legitimate answer that covered his covered his ass the way that he would want it to. So I, I think his legacy has been affected to a certain degree. I mean, people still some people still think he's great. Some people are going to think he's a cheat. Um, he's still going to be a fan favorite to a degree, but I don't think this affects his legacy any more than it, than it has. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I don't think it's anything kind of... It's not nothing to see here. Um, his legacy has already been tarnished. I don't really care to see him continue fighting. Um, while we still are questioning like the impact of PEDs, uh, it's still, you know, it, that, that asterisk, for lack of a better term, I just kind of looked at this baseball book I have on PEDs. Um, yeah. I don't think there's really too much more to talk about here in this uh, situation. I, I mean, I'm still a fan of his. I don't dislike him, but you know, I, I don't get so hung up on the PD thing. I'm not. I don't. Oh, this word. I don't do that like everybody else. I understand what what people do. I'm not one of those people. So I'm still a fan of what he does. I think he's a great fighter, but his overall image, you know, it's already taken a hit after the first time, and I think the second time it's just it's just a bit much. People who like Anderson at this point like him. People who don't don't. That's pretty much the way it's going to be from this point on. I, I'm, I agree with you on that. So we have one UFC event, UFC Hamburg, this week. And there's only two fights I really wanted to talk about here. And that's the main event with, uh, what's his name, Anthony Smith and Shogun Hua. And the co-main event between Corey Anderson and Glover Teixeira. Because I believe that this is an opportunity for both Teixeira and uh, Hua to kind of leapfrog and jump into the the 205 picture um, because whatchamacallit um, Daniel, Cormier, Daniel Cormier is already talking about fighting Mauricio 
Hua to defend the 205 pound title before fighting Brock Lesnar to defend the heavyweight championship. So let's look at these two fights and let's talk about which man would you rather see become the top contender with a big win on Sunday. Um, I don't really know. The thing about it is Cormier, and I, I don't even know if he gets back to light heavyweight. I mean, when you have that heavy heavyweight eating schedule, man, it's a tough cut to go back down. You don't know what that's going to take out of you. Ask Roy Jones. He moved up to heavyweight, then he came back to light heavyweight and got knocked out. So I don't know if they want to even try that. But if they do, I, I don't know that either one of these guys is really the most appealing guy because because most got, most of them have been suffering a bit of a physical decline. Shogun doesn't take punishment like he used to. He's dynamic in spots. He's become a great counterpuncher, but he's not as devastating as he used to be offensively, and he's not as durable as he used to be as far as taking shots, and he doesn't really set a high pace anymore. I could fight you're breaking up. Unless he catches Cormier getting wild, he has very little chance of really knocking Cormier out. Cormier, even though I think his durability is a little shaky, he has consistently taken hard shots from the biggest hitters in, in two to weight. You're, you're kind of breaking up a little bit, sir. Okay, can you hear me now? I can hear you better now. Yeah, Cormier's chin has held up against some of the bigger guys. I, I can't see him getting flash knocked out. I'd have to at least put a combination together. And I don't know that who is wrestling or his durability holds up if, if Cormier gets his hands on him. I think he takes him down and has his way with him. I think Teixeira is a good enough wrestler. He's a good enough wrestler to defend it and even to threaten Cormier if he if he, he can set up his striking enough. But once again, his durability is a little suspect. He's had a couple knockouts. He's, had, he's taken some tremendous beating. I don't know what he has left either. As far as name value, I without a fan he wins his fight and you can market that. Tara is a high-risk, low-forward fighter. We're breaking up a little bit, sir. Excuse me. His fight, he, he didn't have as big a fan base, and he hasn't been on a win streak like, like Shogun's been. So Daniel wants to make money. Shogun's the way to go. That that'd probably be the best fight as far as money and name value. Which guy is a tougher challenge for the current champion? Take, I say Teixeira, he's got the his wrestling. I think he could probably hang a little bit in the wrestling exchanges. I don't I don't know that Shogun could defend a takedown from from Cormier at this point. I've seen him taken down by lesser fighters. I've seen him put up against the fence by lesser fighters. Unless Cormier was totally shot from making the weight, I think Teixeira pre presents the all-round threat because he can grapple a little bit, he can wrestle a little bit, and he can strike a little bit. His style of striking isn't going to get him taken down. I don't see how Shogun doesn't get taken down left and right by by Daniel unless he chooses to exchange with him on the feet. Okay, okay, interesting there, interesting take there, sir. Um, what else? What else stands out from to you on this card? Because I didn't see a whole lot, but I'm sure that you can dive into a little bit more there. Uh, really, those were the two fights that that made the most sense to me to focus on because uh, now with Alexander Gustafsson's opponent falling out, whoever wins this fight pretty much might be put in the front as far as a, a chance at a title fight. Or, or if they decide to go the interim title route, then they would be, they'd probably be in the, the, the leader in, going into the house. That's why those fights mattered a lot to me. And then on the other side, um, Anthony Smith has some potential as a light heavyweight, and they're giving him a fight which is winnable for him. 
and over named. There's a lot of guys who've made their name by beating Shogun. He's going to get his opportunity. Corey Anderson is getting another opportunity to prove that he has the goods and he's got a wrestling heavy style. So he can essentially eliminate Glover's ability to, to dictate fights by wrestling because recently Glover's been getting touched up on the feet and then he out wrestles guys the decision. So being the Anderson's young, he might be able to put the fight in certain positions and overextend and overextend Glover, maybe wear him down like Phil Davis did and take over. But those fights have actual direct impact on the light heavyweight title spots right now. The rest of the fights on the card, they're not unimportant. I just don't know that they have any immediate impact on their weight divisions right now. I mean, this is kind of a filler card until the next UFC big event. So it's not filled with really division-altering type fights. Good fights, yes, but important fights, not necessarily. Are you going to watch? Uh, I, I generally always watch them. If I don't watch them right away, I DVR them and, and, and break them down, see if I can pick up on a thing or see somebody who I think has potential moving forward. So I, I'll probably still watch. But, um, you know, I, I probably won't watch as closely as I should on the first go-around. I'll probably catch it on DVR and really kind of sit down and go over it for a couple hours, as I, as I, as I do after every event. But especially on events that don't really have a lot of direct impact on ratings or the overall MMA community, I kind of watch them kind of as a fan, and then I go back over them and kind of break them down in case we talk about the fights moving forward. Okay there, sir. Well, then let everybody know what you're working on this week. Um, I'm trying to get a piece done for Vatisha Torres with her upcoming, mm-hmm. excuse me, upcoming fight with uh, Joanna and I And I'm thinking about doing a part uh, article on Nina Ansaroff and uh, Ronda Marcos. But uh, that's what I'm working on right now. Last week, I did something for Combat Press. It actually came out this week. And it was just um, my observations on recent women's mixed martial arts fights. I kind of break down Marianne Renault versus Kat Zingano because I kind of told a lot of people that was a bad fight for Renault. So I kind of break it down. Is why I break. I kind of look at the fight in the rearview mirror and explain to people why that was such a bad matchup and why Renault shouldn't have taken that fight by going over historic points and problems she's had in her career. And I break down Liz Carmouche and Jennifer Maya. And I also talk about why Barb Honchak is probably at the end of her string as far as being any sort of a legitimate contender at flyweight. And that's on Combat Press. Good stuff there, sir. Good stuff. As always, I'm covering so much. Um, com- uh, grappling in competitive sports. Guys, so, I mean, I've got three interviews, three pretty big interviews that I'm working on right now, which should be interesting in the um, competitive grappling space. I got some uh, professional wrestling work I got to get done, and as always, MMA work that we're steadily working on. So you can always find our stuff all over the net. Shwan, let everybody know where they can listen to the show. Uh, You can get us on YouTube, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And uh, I want to thank everybody. We've been noticing a a slow but steady spike in our viewerships. And we've been getting some good comments on Twitter as far as like the con- the contents of the show and the, the pacing of the show and the direction of the show and how we address the topics from different perspectives. And that's that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give you something high level, analytical, but also from a different point of view than everybody else is taking. And we appreciate the fact that y'all notice it. We appreciate your support. Keep on doing it and keep on spreading the word for us because we don't like to brag. You know, it sounds tacky if we do it ourselves. So we appreciate y'all doing it for us. Shit, I'm about to make it a point to start bragging more often. You can call it tacky all you want to. But <laughs> anyway, um, as always, guys, we'll be back here next week uh, to talk about MMA as well. 
So feel free to join us. And I don't know if you guys saw, but Cain Velasquez is training at the WWE Performance Center, which should be pretty interesting. So well, that was real. Yeah, that was real, my man. So let's see where that goes, right? Yeah, I mean, it'd be amazing if he was like a natural like Ronda was. That'd be pretty impressive. I mean, it's not likely to happen, but it'd be really impressive because a lot of MMA guys start thinking, maybe I have a second career. And who knows, they might just make a quick pit stop in MMA, get kind of a name, and then roll back, roll on over to the WWE and see what's going on. Because, you know, they they just make so much more money than the average MMA fighter. I know they got to work more, but they make so much more money. So much more money. So much. You're right about that. So let's go ahead and close out the show, man. We will be back next week. And have a great night. Yeah, you too. Thank you, everybody, for listening.